started working with a, a few different people about this concept, hey, is there something we could do uh, to use a, a for-profit company in the United States as the financial engine, but work with a not-for-profit to provide support to under-resourced patients around the world. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Scott Boyer. Now, I don't want to spoil this story as this is one of my favorite episodes we've aired thus far because this is the perfect blend of halftime, the book halftime that we promote, and kingdom business. Halftime in the sense that Scott didn't make radical changes to his career path as an exec in the pharmaceutical business, but took that first half and readjusted his game plan for his life to start a company that is bringing a philanthropic idea into the pharmaceutical business, and one that'll ultimately make a giant impact in third world countries where this medicine either isn't available or is too expensive for the average person to get it. Now, when I say halftime, I'm talking about the classic Bob Buford book, halftime and the subtitle is moving from success to significance and if you're in a halftime of life we'd encourage you to go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime and there you can sign up to receive a free copy of the book halftime it's sold more than three quarters of a million copies it's a great book and hundreds of our listeners have taken us up on this offer i'll talk more about it at the end of the show but let's get to this interview my co-host john ramstead and i had with our guest scott boyer on this edition of eternal leadership all right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Scott Boyer. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, John. Thank you, Steve. It's uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys. Well, I remember when I was sitting there in front of my computer and an email came in from the Halftime Institute, and it was, my halftime story was the title, and I started reading about it. It was about you and what you're doing, your history, not only in, you know, in big pharma, but this really this paradigm shift you had as you kind of went through your own um, halftime journey on how business can make a huge impact in this world. And it was kind of, it became your quest, if I understand it, to really pull together kind of the for-profit and the non-profit worlds in business. And I was just fascinated by your story and reached out to you. We had this great conversation. So I'm really excited to have you just come on and share because one of the neat things about your story, which is different from some of our guests, is You've launched into this whole new venture, really kind of this new business model, and um, you're not there yet, so to speak, right? You don't know whether this is going to be a big success or it's going to fail. You are just, you know, uh, uh, head down, shoulder to the grindstone every day, just working to make things happen as we speak. And I just love that about you. Well, yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, still a lot of work um, to to be done, and it's a walk in faith. And I've got... uh, you have some brothers and sisters that are helping me along the way who are providing tremendous support. Um, and um, it, it, we've made a lot of progress, but the journey's not over. And uh, um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where some days you're incredibly excited and then other days you're incredibly anxious. It's that kind of up and down of a startup, uh, startup company. Yeah, and a lot of us can relate to that. And, and I'd like to start out, I'd like to go back a little bit and just share a little bit about yourself and your journey and your story, kind of leading up to maybe your the halftime story, just so people can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, well, I basically uh, um, you know, grew up in the Midwest and uh, married a gal, uh, um, kind of a, um, uh, we're both from Iowa, we ended up moving to Chicago with uh, a large pharmaceutical company. I was a sales rep initially. 
um, and moved here, uh, moved to Chicago, became a trainer, became a district manager, and spent about uh, 11 years with that company, um, Top 10 Pharma, then switched to another pharmaceutical company and spent about 16 years there. So about 27 years in, in big pharma, and then a couple years as a pharmaceutical consultant, working with all sorts of companies from large companies down to small companies and startups, uh, great experiences. And, um, and you know, as time, is, time went on, um, we did relatively well. My wife is a nurse, works at a local hospital here in the Chicagoland area, and um, have two children. And, you know, the thing that kept, you know, the whisper, so to speak, or the, uh, uh, the gnawing was, um, hey, you know, uh, can't you do more to help other people and under-resourced people potentially um, um, in the United States or around the world? And, and started thinking about that probably over a little over a decade ago. And, um, and my wife brought me down to earth when I first brought this up to her. And she said, hey, we, we have kids yet to go to college. And you need, to, you need to hit the pause button on all these things because uh, your paycheck right now is paying for a lot of things. And I said, you know what? You're right. I'm just going to keep doing, keep my head down, keep doing what I'm doing. But, you know, as time went on, um, you know, our kids graduated from college. My daughter is actually in the pharmaceutical industry and my son um, works for auto uh, industry um, down in Tennessee and, you know, kind of got their feet on the ground and, you uh, I thought, you know what, now's a perfect opportunity for me to spend more time and uh, think about ways that um, um, I can potentially give back. I feel blessed. I want to bless others. Um, and that's when, you know, the, especially the last couple of years when I was with the um, pharmaceutical consulting firm, I did a lot of research about new products, existing products, and um, um, there was a service we paid for that told us what the sales were in all different countries and regions around the world. And the one thing you found out very quickly is that the wealthy countries, you know, United States, the UK, Japan, really the wealthy countries of the EU, um, you could throw in maybe China and India as emerging markets, um, they would have significant sales. But there was always this lonely column to the right, which was called ROW which stood for rest of world that basically had almost no sales, you know, maybe one or 2% of the entire world, even though the majority of the people lived in ROW, you sat there and you kind of went, wow, it, it would be really tough if, if I lived in ROW, if I had a child in ROW that had a disease that I knew it could be treated relatively inexpensively. But the fact is, is that there's really no resources there to provide even low cost medications and that's where ROW first started, um, the ROW Foundation and the concept. Um, so started working with a, a few different people about this concept. Hey, is there something we could do um, to use a, a for-profit company in the United States as the financial engine, but work with a not-for-profit to provide support to under-resourced patients around the world? And uh, I actually ironically met up with... Um, a friend of mine um, from a small group at Willow Creek in Chicago, who um, was a CFO of a company, a CFO of a startup, and we started talking and he said, you know what, I've got the perfect model. Um, and it's basically a for-profit and a not-for-profit working together. The not-for-profit becomes the majority owner. So um, it will own over 50% of the stock of the for-profit. Therefore, it can't be sold somewhere down the road.
I'm sure when you guys think of startup pharmaceuticals, your first thing you think is venture capital. You know, it's uh, they'll build it up to a certain size and then it'll be sold to a medium sized company or a larger company. That's not the goal here. The goal is to build up a sustainable, profitable model um, in the U.S. that will profits will flow out into ROW Foundation to provide uh, diagnosis, education, treatment to under-resourced patients around the world. Scott, this comes across as just this great idea as I'm listening to you, but this is very counter to how anything is being done right now in, in the world that you came from, correct? That is correct. There's only one um, example out there, and there are uh, it, it's actually a good example, but there's only one example in pharmaceuticals that I'm aware of. And the company is called um, Lundbeck Pharmaceuticals. It's a Danish uh, company based in Copenhagen. And um, ironically, um, when um, the founder passed away, I think in the late 40s, his wife started a not-for-profit foundation in the early 50s. And that company was really insignificant at that time, but it continued to grow and it went public in the 90s. And basically at that time, the foundation became the majority owner of the corporation and still is today. And it's kept it, kept it whole. It hasn't been bought up by a larger pharmaceutical company. They don't have the same philanthropic goals that we have, but the example of why it's important to have that for-profit and not-for-profit working together is there um, because without that, uh, um, even with our company, with OWP, um, if it were not majority owned by the not-for-profit, someday it would be bought out and be morphed into some other company. And again, that's not our goal. Our goal is to create this sustainable model that hopefully someday, just like now you look back at Lundbeck at that one moment that really changed the trajectory of the company, it's when the founder's wife in, I think, 1954, created this not-for-profit foundation that's kept Lundbeck independent. And um, I, uh, I, I would venture it's a 99.9% .9 chance that company would not be in existence as it is today if it wasn't for the not-for-profit foundation. Well, you know, doing what you're doing now, just from the perspective of either, you know, just startups or just in your industry, that this is kind of a high-risk direction to go into how tell me about the process of how you made this transition from you know where you were to just have this conviction to to set in this direction yeah and um you know it's it's been um i know we we talked a little bit earlier about a, a book that we like called start with why that's been pretty popular recently and one thing that uh, the author simon talked about is that you know people that are willing to take risks are generally either the very young um, or the, I'll say, uh, very old, even though I don't consider myself very old, but um, because they're in positions where they can accept more risk. And, and I'll be honest with you, um, you know, when I started to uh, think about this, the thing that came into play is that, hey, I've got kids, I've got college, I've got all these expenses. And so I, I waited. I waited until those things basically were in a position where, um, uh, financially, we could make this, take this plunge, so to speak. And uh, um, so I think uh, for me, mm. um, my ability to do this was partially based on I had a successful career. We'd been 
frugal, good stewards, saved a fair amount of money. And we were able to basically take this risk and hopefully create a model that I, I hope lives on long after I'm, I'm dead and gone. Um, but I don't think if, um, you know, if I still had ch children in college, it would be difficult for me to, to, uh, to walk away. I've not started a company and sold a company, you know, where some people, uh, successful people have done, um, um, let me put it this way, they have significant more resources than, than uh, probably the resources that I've been using. Um, but because of um, my position in life, and I've got this kind of final decade to give, um, you know, I want to do whatever I can to give it back, to build this model, to help under-resourced people, and basically, you know, spread love, be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, um, and uh, help those less fortunate around the world that honestly could be treated very easily with inexpensive medications that unfortunately um, just are not available to them. Well, you know, you talk about starting with why and just getting to know you. You have tremendous clarity on that why. Uh, and I know you went through halftime because that's how we, we connected. What role did halftime have in, in that piece of the journey? Um, it had a significant role. And again, I was, I, I think I'm a bit of an anomaly um, with uh, the halftime um, um, group in that um, I never thought about, uh, I, I, you know, when I went to halftime, there's about 25 pe people there. And a lot of them are switching from their vocation to mission. I never thought about going into missions. I always thought, how can I use the skills and the things I've learned over almost 30 years and that were God's gifts to basically stay in this area of expertise? Um, and so um, that's one thing that I think is a little little different than maybe the average halftimer. Um, and I know that I've listened to a few of the podcasts, and um, um, I think Lloyd Reeb is one of them talks about, hey, you don't necessarily have to go and change your entire model and your mantra and go, go marching, take a 180 and go in a different direction, you can do it in the areas you have expertise, which is where I'm trying, what I'm trying to do. So when I learned about halftime, I had an associate who gave me the book, I read it and I said, I need to go because this is exactly where I am. And um, so I called Rhonda, set up a, um, see, see if she, there was room for the next class and basically signed up and went down. The um, and again, I'm a little different in that I wasn't going into missions. I was really saying, how can I use my business skills to create a business that can um, perpetually give back? And I, uh, my halftime coach um, that I worked with was great and put me in contact with a lot of other people that added value along the way. And they maybe gave me one pearl here or, or, or there that um, um, you know, I can point to three or four different people that have impacted my journey. What are some um, of those pearls, Scott? Well, I can tell you, one of them was uh, um, I was put in touch with a, um, a halftime alum who uh, wasn't in pharmaceuticals, um, but just a very successful business person. And we were talking about this model. And it, it can be kind of complicated because you're really describing two businesses working together in tandem. And he said, I said, you know what, you really need to come up with a video or something that can explain this very succinctly. And we did end up creating a video that's about a little over three minutes 
that we would show to um, um, the drugs that we're working with are focused on epilepsy. And it would be for neurologists to explain a very complex um, a partnership in very succinct manner. And it was a great idea. Um, it cost, you know, a little bit more than we expected to pay, but he encouraged it, said it would be worth the money because it's very difficult to get across all the key concepts that you're talking about in a short period of time. And this a video uh, he be believed would do it. And we did move forward with that. And it definitely um, has helped tremendously. We use it uh, when we've done market research. We will be using it when we launch our first product with neurologists. And literally in three minutes, it, can, it explains succinctly what we're attempting to do. Um, and it's been very, very well received. And we're going to have a, a link to the video in the show notes for this episode. Uh, it's worth people just to take a look at this and see what you did and how you communicated this. But um, uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. So I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah. Um, and I think um, the my coach had a lot of background in um, finances. So um, he was able to provide a lot of insights and, uh, you know, I guess oper uh, to discuss potential opportunities and challenges of a startup uh, company. You know, I grew up in a family business, so I guess I had a little bit of that in my background, but I've been in big pharma, you know, um, for the majority of my career, which is generally well-funded and uh, um, have not been in a startup situation. So, so you, by, weren't, you weren't your typical entrepreneurial background? No, no. Now, I, I one thing that helped me a lot, I will be honest, is that uh, you know, I spent 27 years in big pharma, but I spent two years as a pharmaceutical consultant working with startups. And uh, um, that did help a lot because, uh, um, you know, most of my uh, expertise was in sales and marketing. And in the, as a consultant, you're kind of doing everything from operations to uh, regulatory uh, compliance, all sorts of, uh, sorts of uh, the pharmaceutical commercial model in the U.S., and that's been was very, very helpful. Um, definitely was helpful for me. So you know, as you as you look forward and everything you've gone through since kind of getting this clarity, going through halftime, pulling in these pearls of wisdom, what, what have been some of your biggest challenges as you've moved in this direction? Well, um, obviously, one of the biggest challenges was financial. And that is because uh, almost I mean, it's got to be 90 90% of all startup pharmaceuticals companies are, are funded by venture capital companies. And you wanted so, to avoid that. Absolutely, because I did talk. In fact, I could tell you one really funny story um, that uh, um, as we were looking for angel investors, um, we were talking to, um, we we're trying to get people that were like-minded that wanted to make money, but also wanted to have a positive impact in the world. And uh, we talked to a, a gentleman who spent most of his time in venture capital, um, supposedly, you know, big hearted individual that uh, would uh, potentially like our model and be willing to accept a little bit lower return in um, uh, because of the foundation and what the foundation intended to do. And he sent a note back and he said, you know what, I think you should change your name to Robin Hood Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I was taken back. I went, holy Toledo. And I go, um, you know, this person obviously has been used to VC sort of deals, and that's what he expected. But when he said Robin Hood for Pharmaceuticals, kind of, you know, taking from the rich and giving to the poor, um, and he didn't mean it in a positive manner. 
Um, but it was uh, an interesting um, story. So financially, you know, finding people that are willing to invest as an angel investor um, in a startup pharmaceutical company, knowing that um, the ROW Foundation has the right to buy, you know, 51% of the outstanding shares to become the majority owner is not normal. And so uh, it ruled out the fact of working with VC. And we've had success in working with uh, angels and have done relatively well, but certainly that was one of the biggest obstacles that we faced. So what are some of your biggest lessons learned so far at this stage? Well, um, two, I would say one of the things is that, you know, the ups and downs uh, come at you quite uh, frequently. So uh, just to try, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other, having faith, um, you know, that uh, um, the people you're working with, that, uh, you know, God has your back and is, uh, you know, you're doing this work um, not for yourself. You're doing it to create a model that hopefully will help other people. And um, I guess the, having the faith to continue to put one foot in front of the other um, is, uh, you know, uh, some days it's easier than others. Um, but uh, um, we definitely have, have completed a lot of the key elements of um, the business model. Um, and it's been a very, very positive uh, journey. But it's easy to get off track, that's for sure. Well, you know, what you're really talking about, if I boil it down, is really how to use not only business uh, for a kingdom impact, but business as philanthropy and those coupled together. So, you know, people that are listening to you and um, if they have a heart to make a bigger impact, make a difference through just what they're doing, whatever industry industry that they're in, what would you share with them? Well, I guess one thing that um, has happened as a side note is that um, – some of our angel investors have been successful business people who have sold businesses. So they've, you know, the 50 something year old man or woman who's built a successful business and they've sold it. And a lot of them have uh, private foundations. And I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I guess, at that level. Um, but as I've learned more and more about um, um, some of these individuals who have, who I've talked to and have told me, um, some of their, I guess, frustrations about, you know, they they were very successful. They had kind of this lump sum when they sold the business. And so they rolled a fair amount of money into a private foundation that a lot of those um, so-called kitchen table foundations are difficult to be focused and stay focused and accomplish a, a lot of good work. Um, that the model that we're setting up of kind of a for profit and a not for profit uh, working together. There are a few examples outside of pharma where this has taken place um, that maybe some people should consider this sort of a model with their company as well, even though it's not in a pharmaceutical uh, arena. Um, so there might be uh, another option out there besides selling a company and starting, you know, the, uh, um, the private foundation, which uh, I guess a lot of successful business people do do. Um, we are we are incredibly clear about what we're trying to do in epilepsy, um, both in the United States and our focus, our philanthropy around the world. So there's no question that ROW's focus will be around epilepsy and our success in the United States will be um, built around epilepsy as well. And what would that look like for a company outside of pharma? Well, um, 
I can, there, there is, um, you know, uh, one example that's right here in the neighborhood where I'm at, you know, Tyndale House Publishing in Wheaton, Illinois, which is where, right next to where I live, has uh, a for-profit and a not-for-profit working together. Uh, you know, the founders uh, has passed quite a while ago, but the model still works and they have philanthropy around Christian writing. Um, and uh, um, so there's an example of a, a company that has been successful in the past in, in this sort of a model. You know, I'd like to take the time to actually, you know, I know you focused on epilepsy. Uh, and if you're looking at ROW, it's amazing to just think about, uh, you know, the, the P&L, right? Here's the money, you know, here's the areas in the world I'm making money. And there's probably millions, billions of people. Epilepsy is a horrible thing to go through or be a caregiver of somebody with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. So when you succeed, and that's what we're, we're pulling for you and praying for, just give us a little bit of a feel of the impact this can have in people's lives, not only quality of life, but the number of people that could be impacted with this kind of model that you're, that you're spearheading. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to quote some numbers that come from the World Health Organization, and um, their numbers support that there are, um, and I'm going to round these off because the numbers, it makes it easier on the math, but there's about 50 million epileptic uh, patients around the world. Um, about 10 million of those patients with epilepsy live in wealthy countries like the United States, like Japan, like uh, wealthy countries in the UK. That leaves about 40 million of the 50 million live in low to middle income countries around the world. So does that mean 80% are in the ROW category? That is correct. Wow. And, and of those 80%, according to uh, the World Health Organization, 75% of those people are untreated. So they don't get any medication. And epilepsy is, is relatively easy to treat. So out of the 40 million, um, 30 million of them are untreated. And based on um, uh, studies done in the, uh, in the UK and also in the US, about seven out of 10 patients with epilepsy could live a relatively normal life if they just had a low cost, you know, generic medication. Um, seven so out of 10. Seven out of 10. So if you look at of the 40 million living in uh, low to middle income countries, 30 million of those patients are untreated 21 million of those patients could live relatively normal lives if they did if they had a simple inexpensive generic medication but it's it's uh, unavailable in most of those most of those countries so what makes it unavailable just that they don't want to sell and market into that market because it's not profitable or distribution and, and, or or what is yeah. it and I would also uh, add in there you know the government uh, you know the um, our government or theirs theirs, you know, mm -hmm. just not having the resources to provide funding for all the different dis disorders and diseases that are out there. So um, you can imagine, and, and we have, um, we're actually placing um, an EEG machine in Armenia through the ROW Foundation um, in, over the next couple of weeks. And we've talked to people who've made requests, you know, they've, they said that a lot of the patients, uh, the stigma associated with epilepsy is significant. You know, in the United States, most patients are treated. Well over 90% of the people get treated. So again, probably 7 out of 10 of those people who are treated will have relatively normal lives. Um, and the same thing would be true for the low and middle income countries if they have those medications. But without those medications, you're looking at people that unfortunately um, 
um, the stigma is so significant in some of those low income countries where they, some of them don't come out of their houses. They're seen as outcasts, et cetera. Um, it's very, very difficult for them to go to school. There are some countries that actually ban epileptic patients from being married. Um, you know, this, this, the stigma is just a very, very significant issue in those countries. Um, and, and honestly, in the United States, if you roll back time, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years, you probably had a similar situation here in the U.S. But the fact is most patients here do get treated and go on to live relatively normal lives unless their epilepsy disorder is very s severe. And what would it cost per person, you know, in the ROW countries if, if your drug was available right now for them that would make it affordable? Um, well, our goal, our goal um, John, is actually um, is not to sell the drug in ROW countries. It's, it's to provide it. Uh, if it were available and sold through a normal channel, it, it probably would be, it would be an inexpensive generic. Um, so let's say, you know, maybe $10 a month, uh, but that's still significant in a low-income country where, you know, they don't have any disposable income for medications. So it, it, it's, it's um, even though the cost is low, it's still too high for a lot of the people who don't have any significant resources. Well, talk about an incredible platform. You said earlier, just be the hands and feet of Christ as, as you go out and you do this. How, how do you weave those two together, Scott? Well, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, I guess right now we're so focused on, on, on the for-profit model and getting it up and running in the United States um, that uh, um, we know that if we're successful, that every out of every 10 patients we reach in a um, low to middle income country, that seven of them will basically be able to live a normal life. That is, that's a huge motivation for us. Mm -hmm. So even though the, the, um, the goal, if we could treat everybody that's, uh, according to World Health Organization, is untreated, um, we could change the lives of basically about 21 million people. We know we'll be doing it in, in smaller steps but for every 10 people we reach, um, we can uh, help seven of them um, basically become seizure-free or have so few seizures that they can go out and participate and become a fully functioned, uh, functioning um, um, person. You know, that's definitely our motivation. So, you know, for you, if I could just wave a realistic magic wand and it was a year from now and you just felt like everything went right what would it look like in a year? How many people do you think you could, you could be impacting? Well, um, well, as you know, with a startup, you know, you basically for the first year, you're actually not making necessarily a lot of money. But if I rolled it out um, a few years, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I rolled it out to, let's say, five years and we hit our, our modest projections, I mean, we, we in five years would be the largest epilepsy foundation providing dollars to patients and neurologists around the world um, to actually either educate, diagnose, or treat patients. So it, it, it could happen relatively quickly that we would morph into a significant player as far as uh, epilepsy and nonprofits in epilepsy. Hmm. And we, have, we do have relationships with uh, a few organizations already. You know, we're 
um, we would be kind of the funding source through ROW to help organizations like the International League Against Epilepsy, which has contacts and neurologists around the world. So we wouldn't be providing necessarily the boots on the ground to get things accomplished. We would be providing funding and medications to those people that are neurologists and working in uh, working with epilepsy around the world already. So, Steve, here's why I was excited to have Scott on. And this yeah. is what I hope everybody's hearing is, you know, here's this 30-year career that you had. God put this longing on your heart, but you know what? Timing wasn't right. So you kept working, you kept learning, you kept saving, you were frugal. Um, and then you get to a point in your life where you say, you know what? This longing is still here. It's still real. And I need to do something about it. And by focusing on how do I take who I've been created to be, all my business skills, my experience, let's get creative, let's pull some coaches in, let's talk to some people. Now you are on the path to potentially impact in just an amazing way over 20 million people because you made a decision a few years ago um, that I'm just going to, I'm going to see where this goes. And you know, that, that, to me is just so encouraging, Scott. I got to tell you, um, I, I am just so happy you came on and shared that. You know, as we wrap up, just anybody listening to this who's who can maybe just relate to the trajectory you're on, or just has some just similar tuggings on their heart. What what thoughts would you leave with them? Well, I, I guess you know, I, um, I I again, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts, and I've listened to Lloyd Reeves a couple different times. And the one thing that um, he talks about, uh, you know, your your strengths, your passion, your calling. And the one thing that I, I do feel um, when I'm working on this project is that, uh, you know, it, it's um, energizing and it is exciting. And knowing that, you know, you're potentially doing something that, um, you know, can leave a legacy and can change the world for a specific area like epilepsy it's been exhilarating. So, you know, you, you work in a certain industry for a long time and it, it can get mundane. And um, even though you do well, it's kind of like you're chopping wood, so to speak. This has been, I mean, it's, it's, been, um, it, it's been heartwarming. It's been exciting. Um, you work, you, you wake up with more energy than you went to bed with. Um, it's just, um, and even the people that I'm working with as well. I mean, you can see the, uh, the passion that everybody has as this has been coming together that, you know, if this works, what a difference it could make. Um, and that part of it has been incredibly exciting. And, and you know what, it would have been, it would have been easy to, um, sort of, um, maybe a bad analogy here, but kick the can to the curb and just, uh, you know, take the last 10 years and basically go to retirement. You know, that's what uh, most people are doing. But to basically, you know, step out in faith to potentially create a model that might change the world um, has been, you know, it just fills your heart. And um, again, um, the journey's not over, the battle's not won, but I can tell you that regardless of the outcome, I will look back on this and I'll be glad that I took the, um, the leap in faith um, to try to do this. Um, and that's, you know, I, I 100% feel that way. And if I would have left, the, if I would have died with the music inside mm -hmm. and not taken this journey, um, I would have, it would have been one of the biggest regrets of my life. 
Well, you know, that said, Scott, what are, you know, everybody listening, what could we be doing? Because you're just, you're in the middle of it right now. You, you're you're like a gladiator out there in the middle of the, uh, the arena. How can we be praying for you? Well, definitely, um, you know, um, you just pray that, uh, you know, everything comes together. Um, there's a, a, a million little things that need to happen in order for everything to work here. And so far, they honestly have been working out quite well. But just continue to pray for, uh, you know, God's blessing um, and support um, of us and that, uh, um, you know, that the reception in the marketplace is there because that's the next big thing. Um, we pretty much are ready to go uh, from a commercial standpoint. Uh, we've done a lot of market research, but the, the uh, really rubber meets the road when we go out in the marketplace with our product, which should occur in the next six months. So um, um, just pray for us that we have success in the United States. If we do, there's no question that ROW will become a huge, huge uh, um, um, successful um, part of uh, treating epilepsy uh, for under-resourced patients around the world. You know, real quick, any specific needs that you have? Maybe somebody listening can help you with or connect you with somebody you might need or? Well, actually, I, I probably would say, um, you know, I still have our biggest, uh, um, from a financial standpoint, uh, still working with, uh, you know, um, folks that have background in, in finances, especially from a startup perspective, which is uh, uh, different. Um, and uh, our CFO has quite a bit of experience in that area, um, but um, that's, um, I've never turned down uh, you know, anybody's help or ideas or suggestions. And I will say that, you know, again, my coach has put me in touch with a lot of people from halftime. And sometimes you get one pearl out of a 30 minute conversation, but it's a big pearl and it can, it can have a big impact. So whether it's me or other people that uh, um, you're, you're kind of going, well, I don't know if this will really help or not. It's, it can be just one small item that you think, hey, don't don't forget about this opportunity. I don't um, um, don't uh, forget about this potential challenge. Um, and here's a way that you might be able to resolve that or take advantage of it. You know, um, we're open to all ideas, uh, and suggestions that might come in because, um, again, just historically in talking to a lot of people that my coach has put me in touch with, you know, that one thing um, along the way sometimes has made a very very big difference. I'm so glad that you share that, you know, and we've been, uh, you know, I've been through halftime. I'm a huge proponent of it. Uh, just as we wrap up, you know, what would you just say just about somebody out there who's listening, who might be, who's read the book, who might be considering just maybe spending an hour on the phone with the coach, exploring it more? Uh, what are just what your thoughts you'd leave with them about that? Well, I, um, you know, Halftime for me, I you know again, I I think I'm I'm not the typical person that goes into uh, the halftime. Again, I was uh, focused really on, you know, my area of expertise and not going into mission. So if you're and that was my focus also. Okay, uh, and actually about and a couple other folks in my class too. So I think I think they do a great job of serving across different callings. Yeah, and and I agree with you, but I think uh, initially when you when you think about it and you read halftime, you might be thinking that 
most of the people are going into on the mission are going to a mission field of some mm-hmm, sort, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily the case. So definitely, um, um, and I think that was my initial reaction. But when I went there, um, there's no question there are a lot of very very successful business people that were able to help me, and some I'm still in contact with um, uh, after the class. I w- I would strongly encourage them to consider going to the halftime institute, spending the two days. The coaching is one thing that I probably um, did not realize it was going to be as beneficial as it was. Um, and um, my coach, I, I've never met my coach in, coach in person. He wasn't uh, at the event itself, but he's been tremendously helpful. And I think that's one thing I would say is that the coaching part of uh, halftime um, was very, very important and was uh, uh, more significant than I thought it was when I first went to the uh, actually two-day program. And I would echo what you just said, Scott. And man, I just want to thank you for just setting the, you know, the example, uh, just showing that courage, that heart, that fortitude to, to do what you're doing now. We wish you all the best. And if there's anything Steve and I can do for you or anything we can do to try to connect you to anybody in our audience, uh, please reach out, let us know, because we're rooting for you big time. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And uh, the prayers are, are appreciated as well. Um, and I can't thank, uh, honestly, you know, the folks that I've been involved with at halftime have been incredibly helpful and insightful and um, honestly have a piece of this journey as well, for sure. So what, what's your website? How do people look at what you're doing, both at, you know, on the foundation side, pharmaceutical side? Um, on on the uh, foundation side, we are at um, rowpharma, dot org. And on the for-profit side, we are at owpharma.com. That's double P, O-W-P-P-H-A-R-M-A? Yes, it is. Okay. Great. Scott, thank you so much, my friend. God bless. And we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, John. Kingdom Business. If you'd like to learn more about Scott, One World Pharmaceuticals, and their mission, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 075. As I said at the top of the show, if you're in that halftime season, you want to make adjustments for that second half of your life and move forward towards a life of significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime, and there you can sign up to receive your free copy of Halftime. That's eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Thank you to everyone that's been introducing people to our show by the looks of it august is going to be our biggest month yet for downloads so for those of you that have been sharing this you are extra appreciated thanks next time on eternal leadership host of starve the doubts jared easily well my doubt was i didn't have tons of resources i didn't have a big network i didn't have a big presence on social media i i didn't feel like my story was compelling i mean i had a number of doubts but uh, yeah, I think that hopefully is an encouragement to someone listening. Is it's okay if, if you're facing some doubt, and it's okay if you don't feel like uh, everything's aligned perfectly, because there are people out there that, that will be able to understand the person that went through some self doubt and felt like, well, what can I give? What can I share? And then worked through that, and then ended up having a message that. Uh, that ended up being able to to be exciting and something to look forward to. If you're one that struggles with doubts, don't miss this one for John Ramstead. I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Mm-hmm.